from the boardroom to the shop floor. Good business runs on good governance. Join esteemed expert in governance, Dr. Nimrod Mbele, for the next hour as he takes us beyond governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa. Hello to everyone and a very warm welcome to Beyond Governance at High FM 101.9. Thank you for tuning in on this glorious uh, day as we continue to bring you insightful deliberations from uh, the perspective of our esteemed industry experts and thought leaders. My name is Nimrod Upambele as, and as always, I'm delighted to share space and time with you, uh, the beloved listeners of this wonderful show. If you miss any of our previous shows, not to worry, simply download the podcast to listen to intriguing and thought-provoking conversations. Uh, last week, I had, a, I had a privilege of interviewing Cesar Njegalana, who is a, an executive at Miserati Center for Computing. And in that interview, Cesar was joined by Ngubazi Ben Mazri. And cutting out to our conversation was the issue of productivity in the public sector. As you can imagine, productivity issues are critical given the limited resource in any organization, let alone in the public sector. A change in a mindset coupled with rigorous training of officials was deemed to be very critical, and I could not concur with colleagues more. It also emerged that productivity issues and programming should be elevated at an executive level to ensure appropriate embedding and institutionalization. Those are the two variables which were quite critical, and if anybody who's quite serious about productive issues need to hit those particular issues. Uh, in today's show, we are focusing on the outcome of the 35th Ordinary Session of the African Union, which took place on the 5th and the 6th of February. And given the plethora of issues that were discussed at the summit, we are focusing our energies on the progress made in the African continental trade agreement arena. And in making sense of these complex issues, I'm joined by Louis Afol, who is a CEO at Love Enterprise, amongst other accolades. Louis is also an international free trade expert. I'm also joined by Sol Molobi, who is no longer a stranger to the show. Sol is the former Council General representing South Africa in Milan, and he's also the executive at Brand Hill Africa. Before we kickstart the show, I think it is befitting to pay homage to the producer of the show. On that note, let me thank you, Kabisa Ngulwe and Rusma Singer for a job well done in advance. Once again, let me thank you, the beloved listener. I also want to encourage everybody to make their views heard via the Twitter handle, which is at Ben and Nimrod. Before we get into conversation, let me take this opportunity to welcome both colleagues, you know, uh, Louis Afol, as well as Saul Molovi. Gentlemen, good evening and welcome. Good evening and thank you. Good evening to all. So good evening to you and good evening to my brother, Saul. Good evening, Dr. Mbele and your production team. My brother, thank you very much. It's quite an honor for me to share this audio space with you. Thank you, too. Thank you very much. Louis, for the benefit of our listeners here in South Africa, could you just briefly share your pedigree? Just briefly, who is Louis Afo? I think you've said it all, but uh, Louis is an international trade practitioner and executive director of APN Group, which is made up of After Policy Network, uh, being the first and still the largest international network on the implementation of African continental free trade. And then we have the Women of Africa Network and then Africa Globalized Summit that organizes investors from all over the world and the with respect to countries, it is rotational. We want to be in South Africa. 
And then I focus more on uh, after because I've been part of the process. I think that is enough for me. Thank you very much for that brief intro, uh, which definitely gives us an opportunity to set the scene. As we proceed, gentlemen, we know that since the establishment of the African Union, the continent has experienced a rapid growth and development in terms of normative frameworks on issues such as peace and security and governance. However, despite these modest improvements, political instabilities in countries such as Libya, South Sudan, Central African Republic, Northern uh, Mozambique, Ethiopia, and so on and so forth, have somewhat hindrance or is hindering economic integration and development. Can you maybe give us a sense, Louis, starting from your end, what were some of the highlights of the AU summit that was held last week in respect to the issues that I've just highlighted in terms of political instability? I think that with the political instability, we have to look at it from broader perspective. And I think that it's a wake-up call because it looks like a repetition of the era of the founding fathers. During the founding fathers' time, they were looking for a Pan-African integration, an African common market. Just when they were about to really lay hands on that, or just when they were about to clock that deal on that, immediately they started wars, civil strifes, civil conflict all over around Africa, and that dream never was realized. The same is what we are seeing now. African continental free trade is a reality, but still we are seeing this same kind of wars or conflicts starting among some of the regions. So it is a wake-up call. Absolutely. On that note, just hold on a second. Before we get into it, we're going to have to pay our bills and come back just in a second. Do not go away. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele on 101.9 High FM. You are listening to Beyond Governance at High FM 101.9. My name is Nimrod Mbele. I'm joined by Louis Apol, who is an executive at uh, Lobby Enterprise, and Saul Molodi, the executive director at the Brand Hill Africa. Before we took that break, Louis was just giving us a synopsis of, in terms of his own observations on the political instabilities that are threatening the realization of Africa trade continental agreement. Let me just quickly bring Saul in terms of the political instabilities, the extent to which they have been addressed by AU and if there's been any progress in addressing those particular issues. I personally take comfort in the strict measures that the African Union has taken against all these countries that have experienced what in AU terms is called unconstitutional transfer of power. We know the African Union frowns upon that and they have a resolution to the effect that any country that transfers power unconstitutionally will be suspended from the African Union. And indeed, the African Union has implemented that decision. But I should also commend the heads of states in West Africa through ECOWAS who were the first to take a strong action against against those countries where the military has taken over. So for that reason, I would say that the AU has done 
very well. Down here in the south, we've also seen uh, SADC and also joined by Rwanda in beefing up uh, security measures in, in Mozambique against the insurgency in Capo Delgado. And uh, I must say that um, even though the region still has a long way to go, but they have succeeded in containing, to a large extent, the exigency in, in northern Mozambique. So the African leaders are really taking a stand against all the coup d'etats we've experienced recently. That's quite soothing to hear, Saul, when the heads of state aren't just paying a lip service, but are taking drastic measures to try and circumvent or call into order the leaders that are obviously mismanaging, to say the least, or suffocating any integration which the continent is so desperately looking forward to have. But let's go back to uh, Louis. Based on your personal experience as a person who is immense in free trade conversation and dealings, to what extent do you think in the past the African Union has been successful in managing the, the program as it were? Well, I think that, thank you for your question. I think that for now, comparatively, they've made great, great strides because you have 54 countries that have really signed and is the biggest at the goal by heads of states to sign this kind of agreement, which was not like that in the past. And also you have about 44 that are set up their priority sectors. So in terms of numbers, I think that it's a great achievement. And I think in terms of implementation too, I think that uh, they're making effort looking at the unfortunate pandemic that befell Africa. This is one of the most strategic and successful ones so far compared to the time that from its inception. And I'm looking forward to that the other integrative parts that are supposed to support the AU agenda of Agenda 2063 will be successful. Because the AU is looking at making sure that we have one African market. And so we started with the free trade. If you is looking forward that we're going to have one African passport, we're going to have one currency. And so all these stages of integration is important. But I think that the African continental free trade has been one symbolic achievement by the African Union. If you compare the, the regimes of AU and then OU timings, you had the OAU, then you came back to AU, and now the AU is really trying to really perform its purpose of why it was established, African Union, African integrity, African integration, sorry. And so if you ask me with respect to the free trade, I think that so far, I think that uh, it's more impressive. Thank you very much for that insightful observations, which are quite soothing as we continue to low or crowding in investment from the tip of the continent, from the South African point of view. The idea, obviously, is to have these kinds of conversation on a regular basis, not so much about, you know, reflecting on the negative, but elevating the positive energy, elevating those critical observations or critical policies, pronouncements, and practical measures that have been taken by the heads of states in ensuring that ultimately Africa is not perceived as a dark continent, but is perceived as a continent that is uh, large with prospects and opportunities. But going back to the issue of the signing of the treaties by 
54 countries that you have considered as laudable. I would imagine everybody can agree to that point. I mean, the pact, as it were, does speak to about 1.3 billion people across 55 countries, which is quite a massive endeavor, as it were, because the value of the pact, if you're looking at the African Continental Free Agreement, we're looking at about close to three and a half trillion US dollars. So that's quite massive, isn't it? Is that my question? Yep. Yes, sir. But before you, yes. before you before you respond to that question, you know, Louis, let me just let's quickly pay our dues. Let's go to the break and we'll come back in just in a second. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Dembele on 101.9 High FM. Yep, you are listening to Beyond Governance at High FM 101.9. My name is Nimrod Dembele. And I'm joined by Louis Afol, who is a CEO at Lobby Enterprise, as well as Sol Molobi, an executive at Brand Hill Africa. Before we quickly went to the break, I made a, a synopsis in terms of what the African Continental Free Trade Agreement is promising in terms of monetary value. The pact connects close to about 1.3 billion people across the continent and with a combined gross domestic product of about three and a half trillion US dollars. So that's quite a significant um, achievement in its own right. That That's my submission. Your take on that? Yes, I think that that is a huge combined GDP. I mean, it's, we're still not there yet because that is the whole 54 countries making up about the projected 2.3 trillion over uh, this year, our annual basis, compared to a single country like China and India, who are making way beyond that. China alone is almost close to about $14 trillion. So there is a massive gap, a massive job to be done. So even though we're looking at population one point something, I am still not enthused about it because we need to really take opportunity for productive sectors. We need to really combine our political will and commitment into productivity. That is when we'll be able to compete on the world, the global stage in terms of regional economic trade, because we were not focused on intra-African trade, which was costing us a lot of billions, especially even if you look at our transfer of payment systems. We were losing close to uh, about uh, 80% of revenue, about $5 billion projected losses when it comes to uh, our revenue loss that we're doing to just transfer in terms of trading across uh, beyond Africa to our trading partners outside Africa. Now, with the coming in force of the African Continental Free Trade, you're looking at the Pan-African payment system, which was executed by the Afriasm Bank and the central banks of some African countries. That will save this on wholesome $5 billion to enable to us to boost our productive capacities. Again, you've realized that there is a need for us also to convert most of our human capital resources, because now that we're going to have free trade, you have uh, education under priority sectors, which is liberalized. So it's going to enhance knowledge transfer, which is very key. We have to say goodbye to the brain drains that we're having outside the African continent. Why? This is key. This is the time we have to bring all this productivity home. It is time to look at the tech side, which has also been liberalized, ICT, and see how best we can put together our technology expertise 
and really make value for our money, build our regional value chain, not only in goods, but in services. So if we really we are going to make a reality of this whole projected revenue, that means we need to do a lot of work because we are still nowhere, especially some countries are going to experience certain revenue shocks after the first years of after implementation because they will have to liberalize their revenue, uh, their uh, tariffs over time. And so that is something that we have to look at. But it is promising. And I think that we really have to look at a more bigger picture now that we have the market among ourselves. The reality is that for any economy to be propelled to greater heights, leadership needs to dream wildly. And I suppose the projections that have been put in place are necessary for the continent to realize its full potential. But be that as it may, as you've correctly pointed out, the real work starts. Let me bring Saul here. What would you think are the greatest building blocks that would ensure us that we leapfrogging the trade terrain to a point where we, we can begin to reap the rewards relatively sooner than later? Saul, your take on that? In fact, I would say that decisions that were ratified and endorsed by the AU heads of states and government summit uh, over the weekend showed that indeed the integration project is running full steam. Besides some of the tangibles uh, that Louis has already referred to, that include the Pan-African payment system and settlement. For me, the fact that the African Export-Import Bank committed over one billion US dollars towards the development of the automotive value chain on the continent and also to support industrialization. You may remember a a few weeks ago, I referred to a publication that was produced by the African Development Bank that basically summed up all the objectives that the continent should be pursuing into four. One being Feed Africa, the second being Power Africa, speaking to energy needs, and then the third one being industrialized Africa, and the last one being integration. So integration, yes, there are challenges, but I'm, I'm quite confident that we will be able to take a shorter period compared to the European Union that took 72 years to be where it is today. So we are doing very, very well. And the heads of state and government also commended uh, the progress already made towards a finalization of the second phase of the negotiations. And these negotiations will be covering your investment protocols, your intellectual property rights, your digital trade, as Louis has alluded to. And of late, people have been saying, we also need to look at what this Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement has in store for for women and youth, considering that women are at the call phase of the struggles to, to reverse the frontiers of poverty and hunger in our communities. And Africa is endowed with the biggest population of of the youth. And for that reason, that is why everyone sees us as the future. 
and the whole world has confidence in, in us. So I would say, yes, there are challenges, but we are doing very, very well. The other report that came was that our immediate objective was to abolish up to 90% of the trade tariffs right now. And the report that came through is that we are already sitting on 877 uh, which means that we are just left with 0.3% to, to reach our target. So I would say we are doing very well. With the one country that hasn't signed, I always say every family has one. So this country happens to be one in our family. But I, I believe it will turn around. Let's hope so sooner than later. You made reference to very critical points. One of them, which I want Louis to reflect on, is the implication of the abolishment of tariffs. Um, at some point, if I if I recall well, Louis said some countries will will experience a bit of a shock for they're dependent on those tariffs for income. Could you perhaps maybe just unpack that very phenomenon in terms of what does it really mean for countries that are going to forego tariffs as it used to be an income stream for them? Yes. And, and how, um, would they, how would they balance that with, with, with opportunities that have been brought forward by the Continental Free Trade Agreement? Louis? Thank you very much. The idea is that the member states were divided into three and they had the developed economies of Africa, developing economies of Africa, and the group of six least developed economies of Africa. And so the developed ones, well, some said they will liberalize over a period of five years. And then the developing ones said they will liberalize over a period of 10 years. And then the least developed said they will develop, a, they, they will liberalize a period of 15 years. That means that you're not going to have zero tariffs just at a go but they're going to have reducing liberalized tariffs over a period of these years. However, no matter when they would like to start, we will reach a point where we have to be zero tariff entirely, over 90% of products. However, these countries that would like to liberalize, most of them are really struggling with productive basis. Most of them are struggling with their revenues. And therefore, when you, most of the sources of revenue are coming from tax on export and import tariffs and duties. And so once you are liberalizing, you're, you're opening your borders for a competition, there is a certain level of amount of revenue that you have to gap that you're going to have. What, how are you going to make, fill that gap? How are you going to account for that revenue? Therefore, those countries, initially, they are going to struggle with a bit of such revenue losses as a result of the liberalized 90% of products that might come into their country and they have to make sure that they allow it to go through, but they might not at the same position be able to produce and supply in the same quantity to the, the other respective country. So what happens to them? So Afriasian Bank has decided, has been taxed to offer two years credit support for all these countries. Is for two years credit support at a very, very affordable without, I think it's without interest. It is rather the administrative fees that they're going to pay so that it will cushion them again. So if, for example, as a result of maybe for the first two years, you are liberalizing about 25% of your tariffs and you are losing a colossal amount of 25% of your revenue, 
with the two years guarantee or revenue inpush or revenue uh, or injection that Afriasian Bank will give you, it will enable you, that interest, to be able to account for that and not just wait for it to be given. But whilst that mitigation is being done, you are also expanding your productive basis to at least export that which you have comparative advantage. This is exactly how I, I try to uh, lay out. Thank you for that unpacking because it's very, very useful for anybody who's listening to the show now who may not be as close as you are in terms of understanding the permutations of liberalization of economies. So clearly there is a phase-in approach based on material endowment of each and every country. Those that are perceived to be more developed, they will have a shorter space of time to liberalize and so on and so forth. So I think that's quite, that's, that is quite commendable in so many ways. But so let's come back to this issue of liberalization of of, of economy. Okay. Yeah, in fact, I'm going to take off my diplomatic hat and wear my hat as a journalist. Then I'll be able to name countries in order to uh, unpack what Louis was saying so that people can relate to what you are saying. And by naming the countries, I'm not necessarily outing them out. I'm going to give an example with the Southern African Custom Customs Union, uh, to which South Africa, Botswana, Namibia, Lesotho, and Eswatini belong to. Out of these five countries, four have already ratified the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement. And if you look at Namibia, Lesotho, and Eswatini, they rely to a large extent on the revenue generated by the regional custom, sub-regional customs union. So meaning they stand to lose. But surprisingly, they've already ratified, obviously taking into consideration what Louis has already outlined. And the most country, uh, the most stable country economically amongst the five is Botswana. And it is yet to ratify the agreement. But I was happy yesterday in the Africa Business Forum when the president of Botswana uh, spoke glowingly about the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement and Botswana's commitment to supporting the agreement that it, it succeeds. And he committed the country to, to integration. And for me, then this told me that, okay, it means very soon uh, Botswana could also be in a position to ratify. Because it means until all the members of the customs union have ratified the agreement. No single member will benefit. So, which means that the five countries are held at ransom by Botswana for not ratifying. And as a result, they can immediately benefit from the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement. That was my point as a journalist, um, not a diplomat. And I think Abraham um, Louis can can come in, yeah, diplomatically uh, without yeah pulling any punches. Okay, Louis, your your take on why countries such as Botswana aren't ready to ratify? What could be you know the the deal breaker, or what what are those critical issues that 
countries country such as Botswana are reluctant to let go based on. I think the Honorable Ambassador has spoken it well. My little take on it is that, one, per the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, it only members who have party states or what we call party actors who can benefit from the continental free trade trading. What does it mean is that there are three levels of being a member. When you sign the agreement, you are not qualified to benefit from the liberalization. When you sign the agreement, you are supposed to ratify. Your parliament is supposed to ratify. When your parliament ratifies, you're still a member, but you are not a full party actor. Your parliament, after ratification, had to be signed by the president. And that document, we call it letters of ratification, had to be submitted to the African Union Commission. That is the final stage that will tell that you are a full party actor and can enjoy every form of the trading of tariffs. So if you have out of five, four countries that have ratified, and like the ambassador said, the last person who is not, in that, from this perspective, the last country which has not become a full party actor will not be able to trade within the four other countries under after. They can trade within their common custom union market or custom union, which existed before after. The EFCFT is to build upon the wrecks. Therefore, what is going to happen is that there's going to be what we call the application system. Countries who have not yet ratified, but who feel they have the intention of doing so, but they've commenced the process and would like to still trade among other members who apply to the after secretariat that we don't really want to trade with Namibia or with South Africa over a period of maybe two months, give us this application grant. When it is given, it will be documented. And that is how it's going to be for those who are not full party actors. The other issue is that some of them are reluctant because they would like to, they are trying to weigh, they are not yet setting with their tariff concessions. To the ordinary man, the tariff concessions are the, what product am I liberalizing? And so if I'm liberalizing, I hope I, I, I'm not going in for a protectionist approach. These have been the, on the table of most other African economies. Why? The reason Nigeria delayed, they wanted to make sure that they hedge a lot of their uh, uh, local industries from undue competition. So that could be also other factors. Thank you. Absolutely, absolutely. We're going to take a break just in a second to continue this very interesting conversation that we are having. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele on 101.9 High FM. Yep, uh, you are Beyond Governance at High FM 101.9. My name is Nimrod Mbele and I'm joined by Louis Afong, who is the CEO at Lobby Enterprise and Solomon Lobby uh, in his capacity as an executive director at Brand Hill Africa. We are unpacking the benefits of Africa intercontinental trade, which has just been unveiled. A lot of interesting issues that are coming out. It does seem like this is not just a pipe in a dream, pipe, you know, the finest car dream. It is maturing, it is being realized. It's amazing how time flies when you're really having fun, particularly when you're dealing with very complex issues, uh, such as the uh, Africa in, uh, you know, continental trade agreement. Uh, we're talking about ratification. We're talking about liberalization of, of, of the market. We're talking about products that are going to that have been liberalized. As we you know gravitate towards the end of the show, 
one of the biggest asks is the role of commerce, the role of business. We all know that politics, politicians' job is to provide an enabling environment. To what extent the AU has marshaled all the business entities, all the business associations and chambers across the breadth and length of the continent for them to begin to put together programs and funding regime to address these particular issues. Louis, your take on that? Let me give you practical examples, very, very frank with you. The Africa Business Council is an agency under African Union to promote the private sector and business interest and also to coordinate with the AFTA to make sure that businesses and private sector are really benefiting from the African Continental Free Trade Agreement. However, the other area that we also have to look at has to do with the fact that, having said that, there was AUDA, NEPAD. Also, there was, was mandated in one way or the other to look at this. We didn't see much. Now, we have the Africa Infrastructure Development One also there to look at infrastructure development. That is also looking at the private sector. We are still yet to see much. Under the African Continental Free Trade, we have what we call the trading services, a priority sector called tourism, tourism, which a lot is led by the private sector, but the infrastructure is supposed to be laid by the governments. Now, I would like to ask myself, I ask myself, why would we even organize reality shows in Africa and the first prize is traveling to Dubai? Why? Why can't we have in-looking policies to develop our own sectors. And so what it means is that sometimes we get the fundamentals so wrong. We don't coordinate or integrate the agencies and what is on the ground. There is a need for the Africa Business Council and the private sector organizations across Africa to develop what we call the Bill of Rights of Doing Business. The Bill of Rights of Doing Business will be adopted by all the African heads of states which will be ratified by their own parliament. That is the way to do business as a private sector. So that uh, in times when there are political undue interference, the Bill of Rights will safeguard. Times where there are certain uh, bureaucratic approaches under the private sector regimes, the Bill of Rights will safeguard that. These are things we need to tie ourselves to so that we will have a uniformity in how to really mobilize our resources into productivity. I tell you, the African mineral vision has been lying on the table for about, this is the 12th year. Only 15 countries have signed. Why? Only 15 countries have ratified. Are they not interested in ratifying their natural resources? Because of what? So look at what is most government's focus and what is the actions on the ground. There is a vast paradox between these two attitudes. And so until we begin to integrate these African Union of agencies and give them that autonomy, that power it takes to run along with the national uh, political space and business actors. It will so continue to be conferences and meetings and conferences. And I hope for us as a network, we are working closely with the Africa Business Council, Africa Private Sector, to see how best we can put some of this Bill of Rights in, into perspective. Thank you. Very intriguing observation indeed. I would imagine most people who have obviously are fatigued by lots of conferences, seminars, which don't really yield results. So let me bring you in here. 
literally in just about a minute. I mean, Louis has made a very practical example that needs to be activated to ensure that you know, business assume its rightful position in leading investments. One of those is the Bill of Rights in doing business in Africa. Your take on that? In fact, I, I fully concur with Louis. But be, beyond that, we also need to mobilize our countries to develop even their national strategies on the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement. In fact, Lou will be shocked to hear that South Africa doesn't even have a national strategy on the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement, which means that our private sector is lagging behind. In fact, it's only in the next two weeks or so that Brain Hill Africa will be organizing a symposium in which we will be able to invite the private sector. And I'm happy to say that I had a meeting with the Secretary General today, and he has agreed that he will be coming to address that session where we will be mobilizing the private sector. Thank you very much, colleagues. I mean, how interesting. You know, these are very pertinent issues. Unfortunately, we are running out of time. We're going to have to, you know, pause here. And let me take this opportunity to really appreciate your active participation and engagement on this very complex and complicated phenomenon, which has huge potential to put Africa in, in a global and competitive market. I will, I'll, thank you very much, gentlemen. Louis, appreciate your your, your audience. Thank you very much. Th- thank you very much. Thank uh, you very much. And thank you, my brother. Thank you, Dr. Mbele. Thank you, Dr. Mbele. And thank you, South Africa. Thank you, my brother. So I think we'll have a conversation after that. Thank, thank you. you so much. There you were. Very interesting conversation that came out on, on this particular show. I, I'm quite pleased to see or hear the strides that you know Africa is making. We just had an insightful engagement from Louis Afol, who is an executive at Global Enterprise and Seoul in his capacity as the executive at Brand Hill Africa, giving us blow by blow on some of the intricacies that need to be taken into account for us to realize the Continental Free Trade Agreement. We're going to have to do, we're going to pause here and refer back to other engagement in, in no time. Let me once again say it has been absolutely a pleasure to have you. We certainly have benefited from these kinds of conversations. We'll bring more and more insightful themes, uh, conversations with uh, esteemed colleagues, experts, such as Louis and uh, Saul in the near future. Adios and shalom.